0: Hello, my darling, and welcome to today's story time. Today we are reading Medusa's Coil by H.P. Lovecraft. If you like what you hear, please make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And now, on to our story time. The candlelight was very faint yet served to show most of the principal features. I noticed the low, slanting roof, the huge, enlarged dormer, the curios and trophies hung on the walls, and most of all, the great shrouded easel in the center of the floor. To that easel, Rusi now walked, drawing aside the dusty velvet hangings on the side. Turned away from me, and motioning me silently to approach. It took a good deal of courage to make me obey, especially when I saw how my guide's eyes dilated in the wavering candlelight as he looked at the unveiled canvas. But again, curiosity conquered everything, and I walked to where De Roussi stood. Then I saw the damnable thing. I did not faint, though no reader can possibly realize the effort it took to keep me from doing so. I did cry out, but stopped short when I saw the frightened look on the old man's face. As I had expected, the canvas was warped, moldy, and scabrous from dampness and neglect. But for all that, I could trace the monstrous hints of evil, cosmic outsideness alert through all the nameless scenes, morbid content, and perverted geometry. It was, as the old man had said, a vaulted, columned hell of mingled black masses and witches' sabbaths, and what perfect completion could have added to it, was beyond my power to guess. Decay had only increased the utter hideousness of its wicked symbolism and disease suggestion. For the most parts affected by time were just those parts of the picture which in nature, or in that extra-cosmic realm that mocked nature, would be apt to decay or disintegrate. The utmost horror of all, of course, was Marshalline, and as I saw the bloated, discolored flesh, I formed the odd fancy that perhaps the figure on the canvas had some obscure, occult linkage with the figure which lay in quicklime under the cellar floor. Perhaps the lime had preserved the corpse instead of destroying it, but could it have preserved those black, malign eyes that glared and mocked me from their painted hell? and there was something else about the creature which I could not fail to notice, something which Darussi had not been able to put into words, but which perhaps had something to do with Dennis's wish to kill all those of his blood who had dwelt under the same roof with her. Whether Marsh knew, or whether the genius in him painted it without knowing, no one could say. But Dennis and his father... Not have known until I saw that picture. Surpassing all in horror was the streaming black hair which covered the rotting body, but which was itself not even slightly decayed. All I had heard of it was amply verified. It was nothing human, this ropey, sinuous, half oily, half crinkly flood of serpent darkness. Vile, independent life proclaimed itself at every unnatural twist and convolution. And the suggestion of numberless reptilian heads at the outturned ends was far too marked to be illusory or accidental. The blasphemous thing held me like a magnet. I was helpless and did not wonder at the myth of the Gorgon's glance which turned all beholders to stone. Then I thought I saw a change come over the thing. The leering features perceptibly moved, so that the rotting jaw fell, allowing the thick, beast-like lips to disclose a row of pointed yellow fangs. The pupils of the fiendish eyes dilated, and the eyes themselves seemed to bulge outward. And the hair, that accursed hair, it had begun to rustle and wave perceptibly, the snake-like heads all turning towards Darussi and vibrating as if to strike. Reason deserted me altogether, and before I knew what I was doing, I drew my automatic, and sent a shower of twelve steel-jacketed bullets through the shocking canvas. The whole thing at once fell to pieces, even the frame toppling from the easel and clattering to the dust-covered floor. But though this horror was shattered, another had risen before me in the form of Darussi himself, whose maddened shrieks as he saw the pitcher vanish "'were almost as terrible as the picture itself. "'With a half articulate scream of God, now you've done it, "'the frantic old man seized me violently by the arm "'and commenced to drag me out of the room and down the rickety stairs. "'He had dropped the candle in his panic, but dawn was near, "'and some faint gray light was filtering in through the dust-covered windows.' I tripped and stumbled repeatedly, but never for a moment would my guide slacken his pace. Run, he shrieked. Run for your life. You don't know what you've done. I never told you the whole thing. There were things I had to do. The pitcher talked to me and told me. I had to guard and keep it. Now the worst will happen. She and that hare will come up from their graves. For God knows what purpose. Hurry, man. For God's sake, let's get out of here while there's still time. If you have a car, take me along with you. It may get me in the end, anywhere. But I'll give it a run for its money. Out of here, quick. As we reached the ground floor, I became aware of a slow, curious thumping from the rear of the house followed by a sound of a door shutting. Darussi had not heard the thumping, but the other noise caught his ear and drew from him the most terrible shriek that ever sounded in a human throat. Oh, dear God, that was the cellar door. She's coming, he screamed. By this time I was desperately wrestling with the rusty latch and sagging hinges on the great front door almost as frantic as my host now. I heard the slow, thumping tread approaching from the unknown rear rooms of the accursed mansion. The night's rain had warped the oaken planks, and the heavy door stuck and resisted even more strongly than it had when I forced an entrance the evening before. Somewhere, a plank creaked beneath the foot of whatever was walking, and the sound seemed to snap the last cord of sanity in the poor old man. With a roar, like that of a maddened bull, he released his grip on me and made a plunge to the right, through the open door of a room which I judged had been a parlor. A second later, just as I got the front door open and was making my own escape, I heard the tinkling clatter of broken glass, and I knew he had leapt from a window. And as I bounded off the sagging porch to commence my mad race down the long, weed-grown drive, I thought I could catch the thud of dead, dogged footfalls which did not follow me, but which kept leadenly on through the door of the cobwebbed parlor. I looked back only twice, as I plunged heedlessly through the burrs and briars of that abandoned drive, past the dying lindens and grotesque scrub oaks, in the grey pallor of a cloudy November dawn. The first time was when an acrid smell overtook me, and I thought of the candle Darussi had dropped in the attic studio. By then I was comfortably near the road, on the high place from which the roof of the distant house was clearly visible above its encircling trees. And just as I expected, thick clouds of smoke were billowing out of the attic dormers and curling upward into the leaden heavens, I think the powers of creation, that an immemorial curse, was about to be purged by fire and blotted from the earth but in the next instant came that second backward look in which I glimpsed two other things, things that cancelled most of the relief and gave me a supreme shock from which I shall never recover. I have said that as I was on a high part of the drive from which much of the plantation behind me was visible, this Vista included not only the house and its trees, but some of the abandoned and barley-flooded flatland beside the river, and several bends of the weed-choked drive I had been so hastily traversing. In both of these latter places I now beheld sights, or suspicions of sights, which I wished devoutly I could deny. It was a faint, distant scream, which made me turn back again, and as I did so, I caught a trace of motion on the dull gray marshy plain behind the house. At that distance, human figures are very small. Yet I thought the motion resolved itself into two of these: pursuer and pursued. I even thought I saw the dark, clothed, leading figure overtaken and seized by the bald, naked figure in the rear. Overtaken seized, and dragged violently in the direction of the now-burning house. But I could not watch the outcome, for at once a nearer sight obtruded itself, a suggestion of motion along the underbrush at a point some distance back. Unmistakably, the weeds and bushes and briars were swaying as no wind could sway them, swaying as if some large... Swift serpent, were wiggling purposefully along the ground, in pursuit of me. That was all I could stand. I scrambled along madly for the gate, heedless of torn clothing and bleeding scratches, and jumped into the roadster parked under the great evergreen tree. It was a bedraggled, rain-drenched sight, but the works were unharmed and I had no trouble in starting the thing. I went on blindly in the direction the car was headed. Nothing was in my mind but to get away from that frightful region of nightmares, to get away as quickly and as far as gasoline could take me. About three or four miles along the road, a farmer hailed me, a kindly, drawling fellow of middle age and considerable native intelligence. I was glad to slow down and ask directions, though I knew I must present a strange enough aspect. The man readily told me the way to the Cape, and inquired where I had come from in such a state, at such an early hour. Thinking it best to say little, I merely mentioned that I had been caught in the night's rain, and had taken shelter at a nearby farmhouse, after losing my way in the underbrush, trying to find my car. At a farmhouse, eh, he asked, wonder whose it could have been. Ain't nothing standin' this side of old Jim Ferris's place, across Baker's Creek, and that's all twenty miles down by the rut. I gave a start, and wondered what fresh mystery this portended. Then I asked my informant if he had overlooked the large, ruined plantation house, whose ancient gate bordered the road not far back. Funny you should say that, stranger, he said. Must have been here before some time. But that house isn't there now. Burned down five or six years ago. And the people tell very strange stories about it. I shuddered to myself. You mean Riverside, Old Man Darusi's place. Strange goings on there, fifteen or twenty years ago. Old Man's boy married a gal from abroad, and some folks thought she was a mighty, odd sort, didn't like the looks of her. Then she and the boy went off all of a sudden, and later on the old man said he was killed in the war. Some of the slaves hinted at stranger things, got round at last that the old fellow fell in love with the gal himself and killed her and the boy. That place was sure enough haunted by a black snake, mean that what it may. Then five or six years ago, the old man disappeared and the house burned down. Some do say he was burned up in it, was a morning after a raining night just like this, when lots of folks heard an awful yelling across the fields in old Terusi's voice. When they stopped and looked, they see the house going up in smoke, quick as a wink. That place was all tinder anyhow, rain or no rain. Nobody had ever seen the old man again, but once in a while they tell of the ghost. Of that big black snake, gliding around. What do you make of that, anyhow? You seem to have known the place. Didn't you ever hear tell of the Darussis? What do you reckon was the trouble with the gal that young Dennis married? She kind of made everyone shiver and feel hateful, though you could never tell why. I was trying to think. But that process was almost beyond me now. The house burned down years ago. Then where, and under what conditions, had I passed the night? And why did I know what I knew of these things? Even as I pondered, I saw a hair in my coat sleeve, the short, gray hair of an old man. In the end, I drove on without telling anyone anything. "'but I did hint that gossip was wronging the poor old planter "'who had suffered so much. "'I made it clear, "'as if from distant but authentic reports wafted among friends, "'that if anyone was to blame for the trouble at Riverside, "'it was the woman Marceline. "'She was not suited to the Missouri ways, I said, "'and it was too bad that Dennis had ever married her. "'More I did not intimate.' I felt that the Russis, with their proudly cherished honor and high, sensitive spirits, would not wish me to say more. They had borne enough, God knows, without the countryside guessing what a demon of the pit, what a Gorgon of the elder blasphemies, had come to flaunt their ancient and stainless name. Nor was it right that the neighbors should know more than the horror which my strange host of the night could not bring himself to tell me. That horror, which he must have learned as I learned it from the details in the lost masterpiece of poor Frank Marsh. It would be too hideous if they knew that the one-time heiress of Riverside, the accursed Gorgon, whose hateful, crinkly coil of serpent hair must, even now, be brooding and twining vampirically around an artist's skeleton in a lime-packed grave beneath a charred foundation. It was faintly subtle. No wonder she owned a link with that old witch woman, Sophie, for though in a deceitfully slight proportion, Marceline was more than a mystery. And this, my darling, ends our story time for today. As always, I hope that you have very sweet and creepy dreams. Good night.